when I lock my office door, walk out of the building and say, I made a difference today. I helped a family. I supported a student. I supported an adult in my building, maybe on a walkthrough. And I did an on the spot because the coaching piece of me never goes away. And I did an on the spot um, model for a teacher, maybe walking through or I saw some um, on my walk through some really good teaching and learning going on, um, quality lessons being given, kids learning and excited and engaged. It's when my staff are doing all the great things they know how to do and making a difference for kids learning in the end. That's an awesome day. That is Paula Jones, principal of Henry Wilson Elementary School in Manchester, New Hampshire, who joins us to discuss her career as a teacher and administrator. Join us as it's time to get schooled with Mr. S. Hello, and welcome back to another show. My name is Mr. S, and today we have a special show lined up for you. It takes a lot to be a principal. I've never been a principal, but I've seen them come and go over my 20 years in the classroom. And I think what makes a really good principal is the ability to listen to the students, the teachers, the parents, be able to stay balanced, not too high, not too low, but also make the leadership decisions that are important for all stakeholders. Not all successful teachers do well in administration. I think of it as a great offensive coordinator in the NFL, finally gets that shot as a head coach, but doesn't do well. Because while some skills overlap, the principal needs even, I think, even more skill, the ability to let things go, ability to manage, ability to listen. And I think that is really important skills for the principal. It's not the job it was in the 80s when I grew up. You just sent there if you were misbehaving. The principal has to be so much instructional leader, coach, listener, maybe a little bit of counseling, the ability to take care of their staff, but also manage them. It's a lot. And I think the job is very demanding and very challenging. And I think turnover, or I know this from my personal experience, turnover is higher in administration than it was, say, even 20, even 10 years ago. From a teacher's perspective, I know the principalship is a tough job. So I wanted to sit down with the principal on Get School and find out the inside story. Paula Jones will be joining us. She'll tell you about the life of a principal, including the challenges of leading a school in the COVID-19 era. And it's all coming up next on Get Schooled with Mr. S. When I got into the podcast game, I had no idea what I was doing. I needed advice, someone to bounce ideas off of and someone to handle all the back-end production work. Bearcat Group helped guide me through the process. They work with me on the feel of the show, rundowns, and help set up all the equipment in my house. They even helped me create my show's artwork and social handles. I was in good hands with the team at Bearcat Group. They really worked hard to make me feel comfortable. Bearcat Group offers experienced editors and engineers, professional producers, and a totally virtual production process. 24-hour turnaround time on recordings, publishing, and distribution options. They even have equipment you can rent if needed. Now that Get Schooled with Mr. S is up and running, they produce, edit, and publish the podcast, leaving me just to worry about the content of the show. If you are looking to start an audio or video podcast, check them out, bearcatgroup.com, and speak with them about your vision, and they'll make it happen. That's bearcatgroup.com. They make podcasting easy. Easy. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Get Schooled with Mr. S. And we are going to be sent to the principal's office today, but that's not a bad thing because our next guest is a principal, and I'm so happy that she is with us. Paula Jones, welcome to Get Schooled with Mr. S. Thank you so much for having me. Could you tell the audience a little bit about your career background in education? You have an interesting background, I feel. Sure. I actually have to say that um, all my life I wanted to be a teacher. And then when I did my undergraduate, I changed my mind and I got an undergraduate degree in marketing. And I worked in that field for a little while. Um, And then I had the luxury of being laid off from my job and getting a year's salary and a lump sum. And I decided to go back to grad school. So at that point, I thought education was the right step for me. So I did that and I got my master's degree in elementary education. And I embarked in my teaching career, teaching both first and second grade for a combination of 14 years, had started my family, and then I decided to um, foray into instructional coaching. So I did that for four years um, in another district in Massachusetts. I was across five elementary schools, all subjects. And then I got a call from a dear friend who said there was a principalship open in my hometown of Danvers, Massachusetts. Um, And I took the leap of faith and became a principal. Um, And I gladly worked in Danvers for three years um, at an elementary school there, K to five. And then this year, I switched gears, still staying a principal, but now I am in Manchester, New Hampshire at an elementary school there that is inner city. So that kind of brings me to where I'm at today. So I've been in education for 20 years. I can't even believe it. My 20th year as well. Uh, What a 20th year it's been. I think of the principal, I still think of the stereotype of the 80s. The principal is where you go when you're bad. But clearly, the job description has changed over the decades. How, how do you see the, uh, the principalship changed over the decades as a principal yourself? You know, it's funny because when I think back, um, I was always afraid of the principal, right? You didn't want to get sent to the principal's sure. office. You were in trouble. They're going to call your mom and dad. And I think that stigma is still there somewhat when it needs to be. But I personally work really hard to welcome people into my office with an open door policy. I try to be super present um, at arrival and dismissal and walk in classrooms to make sure the kids see me and they know who I am and they see a friendly face. Um, They see pictures of my kids in my office. Um, they can come, you know, I say to kids all the time, you can just come to say hi. It doesn't have to be, you know, the kind of thing where you're, you're in trouble. But part of the job too is that unfortunately, because I am that, you know, the, the last stop, so to speak, in the school, you know, when something major happens, I have to deal with that too. But when you have a relationship with a child, um, it makes that so much easier. And I always try to get them back on a positive note after they've had to have, you know, a kind of, let's say a negative interaction. So I see myself as like a, Oh boy, I see myself as like a helper. I see myself as a leader. I see myself as a role model for staff and for students. Um, And, you know, sometimes I need to be the mom too. You know, they just need a hug sometimes or a high five or, you know, a go get them and, you know, be off on their way. And is this a K to five school? It is a K to five school. So I have uh, about 438 students, K to five, if we were all in school. Right now in our hybrid model, I have about 130 kids coming um, two days, Monday, Tuesday, and about 140 kids coming Thursday, Friday. And then I have probably about 50 kids that come four days a week. To the outside world, what is most surprising? What would be most surprising about the responsibilities of a principal? You know, I have this expression, (laughs) 
that says they don't teach you this in principal school. Um, so my first week in my new school, there was, um, a very strong odor of gas coming from the gym slash cafeteria. So we had to call 911 and evacuate the building. Thank goodness it was after school. So it was just staff to evacuate, Mm -hmm. got everybody out safely. But then as the principal, the firemen come and they say to me, okay, where's the boiler room? And I looked at them and I said, "I, I, I have no idea. I don't know where the boiler room is. I'm new here and I don't know. Well, let's go find it. So they, you know, we had to go find it. But these are the kinds of things that you don't even think about. You think a principal's there, you know, for academics and for discipline and for this. But you have to manage an entire building. Um, And so those are the types of things that people don't think about. And people don't think about some of the some of the really sad, difficult stories that you hear and you learn about children, about families. But you also don't always hear about the the successes, too. Um, so I think I see myself as, as someone who can really affect an adult's life as much as I can affect a child's life. And that's something that I, I hold dear um, and is what keeps me um, happily doing what I'm what I'm doing, because it is not, as you know, an easy job. No, it isn't. And that's a great perspective to take because I see the principal's chair and I've seen some administrators come and go. And I think one of the issues, decisions that you can make can be loved and hated at the same time. How do you find the balance, you know, when you know you have to make a tough call, uh, which will make some happy, but maybe not others? Correct. And I think that um, as any leader, boss, manager, that is the case. I think the difference with education is that it's very public, right? Like if I work in the private sector and I don't like something my boss did, I'm not going to take to social media about it. I'm not going to go on, you know, XYZ's company page and say, hey, my supervisor did this and I really don't like it because you're likely going to get penalized. And in the world of education, you can do that. Our lives are very public. My salary is public. My, you know, my profile is public. Um, So it's, it's, it can be very difficult because people will openly and publicly praise and criticize. And you have to know at the end of the day, and again, the other thing that keeps me going is that at the end of every day, I know I put my head down on my pillow at night because I, in my heart of hearts, did what was best for kids. What does a good day look like? Oh, a good day looks like when I can walk out of the building, um, lock my office door, walk out of the building and say, I made a difference today. I know I made a difference today. I helped a family. I supported a student. I supported an adult in my building, maybe on a walkthrough. And I did an on the spot because the coaching piece of me never goes away. And I did an on the spot um, model for a teacher, maybe walking through, or I saw some um, on my walkthrough, some really good teaching and learning going on, um, quality lessons being given, kids learning and excited and engaged. Um those are the things, and those things have nothing to do with me. I know I said helping a family could be, but that could be through my social worker. It might not even be directly me. It's when my staff are doing all the great things they know how to do and making a difference for kids learning in the end. That's an awesome day. That's a really good perspective because I've seen principals burn out who wouldn't let go, wouldn't delegate to the expert. It sounds like you know what your expert, where your experts are and what they need to do to be most successful. I would agree with that, Keith, but I also would say that it 
taken me a long time to get there. So like I said, the things they don't teach you in principal school, I thought, oh, I could be an instructional coach across five buildings. Managing one building can't be that much harder. And I spent my first year as a principal chasing my tail. I mean, I didn't, you know, teacher evaluations, teacher evaluations, managing a building, you know, staff, did everything. I just, I was so overwhelmed. Um, and then over the next two years, I slowly learned who I could count on and, you know, who I could lean on and who was willing to take some things off my plate. And I kept those experiences with me when I went to this job. Um, the difference now in Manchester, New Hampshire is that, oh, I have a lot of staff because we are a turnaround school. So we get um, funding from the state for Title I, uh, federal funding for Title I. We get funding from the state for um, comprehensive school improvement. So I have to the tune of uh, like almost $270,000 at my disposal, um, which allows me to overstaff, not overstaff, but staff adequately. So I have a full-time assistant principal who's dedicated just to that and deals with all the special education. I have four English language teachers. I have four special educators. I have a full-time instructional coach, a full-time reading supervisor, a full-time math coach. So I have all this help and support. I have a guidance counselor, social worker, and now I'm able to form this internal leadership team with some core people that just, we all have a shared vision and we are so like-minded that this school has no place to go but up and it, it invigorates me and it excites me and I, I just love going to work every day right now. That sounds great. I, I was wondering, obviously running a building, being new, that's always a challenge. Now that you've got the COVID era, what additional challenges did the COVID era present and how have you chipped away at those? So one of the things I realized in in my last year in Danvers, um, when we went fully remote on March 12th, I think it was, we went remote. And we thought it was only going to be for two weeks and it ended up being obviously a lot longer. But what got me through was the relationships that I built over the three years that I was there. I had no problem picking up my cell phone and calling a parent who I knew had just lost their own parent due to COVID. What can I do? How can we help? How can the community support? Now I'm going into a situation where I got hired at the end of August to start this job. I don't know anybody. That relationship card is gone, essentially. So how do I, as a brand new principal, brand new city, brand new school, get to a point where I can you know, build some trust? And it quickly became a family engagement piece. I'm doing monthly sometimes bi-weekly Zoom meetings at night for any parent who wants to join around certain topics. Um, I'm trying to get out into the community when I can, when it's safe. Um, I'm inviting parents in on a limited basis and small groups to do kind of open door drop-ins. Um, but now I have to rely, and I think this is part of it to your point, that I have to rely on those people that have been there because I don't know all the families. Um, and I haven't had time to build those relationships, but I'm trying. Um, when you know we have you know, kindergarten registration and people have to make appointments. I try and make it a point to go down and make sure, you know, we're masked in six feet, but I'm visible. Um, and, you know, getting to know the kids, because when the kids are excited and I'll get in their classroom, you know, either go in physically or go into their Zoom meet. Um, and I'll say, hey, Mrs. Jones is doing a phone call tonight. I'd love for you to come on and say hi to me because, you know, they're going to go home and be like, Mom, I want to see Mrs. Jones. I want to see Mrs. Jones. So even if that's how I have to sneakily get a parent, you know, on the phone for a few minutes, um, at least they can put a name with the face and, you know, Word gets out once you support somebody and you're there for them, they're going to tell their friends. And so that's that's kind of 
where I'm at right now, just trying to keep building and, you know, doing as much as I can to be a part of the community. One of the things I see with the um, COVID era schools is the nuts and bolts, the desk placement, the signs in the hallway. How involved were you with that um, part with your school? We were very involved. Um, we there's So I came from a seven school district in Massachusetts to now a 22 school district. There are 17, I think, elementary schools um, in Manchester, New Hampshire. So it's really interesting to me. So it basically was myself and the assistant principal and a few volunteers who, you know, helped teachers with desks. We taped two yardsticks together so that they equaled six feet. You know, we decided, you know, we showed them how to count the floor tiles because they're each a foot and gave them painter's tape to mark off a six foot by six foot square, put the desk in the middle you know, teach the kids the boundaries. We spent um, the week before school started basically doing that, clearing out furniture because you only, instead of having 25 kids in the classroom, you would have, we're having 12 kids in the classroom, um, putting up the signs, deciding, you know, they even made us limit doorways um, as far mm-hmm. as how many kids could congregate at a door. So we had to use every entrance or exit, kindergarten in one door, first grade in this door. So, I mean, some parents have to pick up at four separate doors because we're just trying so hard not to mix to, to reduce the spread. Um, so it, it was a logistical, um, it wasn't a nightmare, but it was a logistical mountain that we definitely had to climb, but we made it to the top and, um, you know, we're still tweaking, like even now we're still trying to bring back some remote classes, you know, and then that affects duty because when you're fully remote teaching, you have a half an hour for lunch and you have a half an hour for recess. So that extra half an hour, I was having those teachers cover their colleagues lunches, but then if they have kids in front of them, that goes away. So it's just a domino effect every time we make a change. So there have been many weekends that I've spent tweaking schedules and or contact tracing um, for COVID positives, calling families saying, you know, child's been a close contact. They can't come to school. Like it's it's been a lot more um, night and weekend than I've ever experienced. And have um, some families been reluctant to return or are, are they happy to be back? How do you gauge where families are at in terms of the return to school? I think it's it's a mix, to be honest with you. I think people are either like, I want my kid back in school, you know, full time, five days, or they're of the camp. Um, I'm not ready. I'm still scared. I'm keeping my child home. Um, and I think like, you know, I've said to many parents in the past, I have to meet you where you're at and meet you where you're most comfortable. because. I know even for myself, my own family, from March until July, we did zero takeout. I cooked every single meal, came from the grocery store um, because my husband and I didn't know who was touching our food. And that was our comfortability level. Um, But other people eat takeout every day or and and never stopped or never stopped going out to eat. So it's kind of just where everybody is comfortable. My older daughter finally got me to that takeout thing because the first couple months I was very, nope, 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 nope. But she's like, dad. And then I read that risk poster and takeout food was low. I said, okay, finally. So that was like my first foray. And maybe the beach was the second one. But I still, you know, there are still some indoor gatherings. I say, oh, you know, I just try to be quick in the grocery store, things like that. So you're right, though. There are people who are ready to go the day after we close in terms of, um, you know, the comfort level with where you're at. It really is all over the map, even still. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, I we pulled back when the numbers started going up again, just my family, um, you know, and stopped doing takeout again. And I stopped actively going to the grocery store and started doing pickup orders again. Um, And again, for me, it's all about um, 
you know, our bubble. I'm the only one going to work in my house. My husband works from home. My kids are fully remote. So I really try to be hyper vigilant about, you know, being masked and hand sanitizing, wearing a face shield. I also am the one, we have isolation rooms if kids are experiencing symptoms with reverse airflow. Um, and it's either myself or the assistant principal are the only two people who gear up and go in that room. So there have been many times where I've been in a room with a sick child with COVID symptoms. I mean, I have full PPE on, but that's scary for me as a mom, you know, as a wife, as a daughter. Um, I don't want to, you know, bring anything home to my family nor make any of my colleagues or, you know, my staff ill. So it's, it's, it's weighed heavy on me. Um, but luckily we've been, we've been very lucky that we haven't had any, you know, major outbreaks, very few students positive, very few staff. So I'm thankful for that. Of course. And and I know I probably in my maximum protective mode, I've got my face shield gloves. I've got plexiglass stands on my desk and I'm just trying to take it seriously. Cause like you can't assume everyone else is, and I've seen that. Correct. How about your biggest accomplishments, um, at this position? What are you most proud of this year? Oh, I am most proud of this year, giving the staff the stability that they've been longing for. Um, they've had quite a, like three or four principals in the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, and because the school is underperforming, um, lowest socioeconomic, they, they work tirelessly. You have to want to be there. Um, so I'm proud to say that I gave them a unified schedule that allowed them to make room for all the academics they needed, including social emotional time for the kids. I'm proud that I could tell them because of my strong teaching and curriculum background, we have tons of resources at our school because of the money. So, you know, one classroom might've been using Fountas and Pinnell to teach reading. The next one might've been using Lucy Calkins to teach reading. The next one might've been using Pinterest to teach reading. Um, and so I could go in and evaluate all that curriculum very quickly and say, we're going to use this this is what's going to be best for our kids. We're going to use this reading program. We already had math curriculum. We're going to use this for our writing. Um, and we're really going to see kids soar. Um, and we have, we've seen, we've seen improvement even in small doses already with our kids. Um, and, I, and I'm just proud. I'm proud of the staff. I'm proud of their commitment to their students and their commitment to doing their bending over backwards and live streaming and, you know, checking in on kids, doing home visits. I've been on home visits every week since I've you know, started in this position just to check in on kids and make sure they're safe. And um, I'm really proud that, 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 you know, we were able to, to get this up off the ground in the midst of a pandemic and me being brand new. I just think that it's, it's been a beautiful thing to kind of watch, you know, from above um, and, you know, myself being at the, the head of the ship, but really like I'm, I'm underneath in the back. It's, it's not, my work. It's, it's all the wonderful people, um, that I have, you know, working alongside me that make it, make it successful. I think with teaching too, like you do, sometimes you don't realize that the kid will come back in four or five years. You really liked your class. You did, you know, now I'm going to be a scientist like you are. So I think there is that, you know, you're moving maybe two, three yards at a time, but the impact that you make you find out later down the road. I wanted to ask the flip side of the coin. What 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 do you think are your greatest challenges or like the unchecked boxes? What are you hoping to still accomplish? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge for us right now is um, loss of learning for our students because unlike you know 
my ch- my own children are very motivated at school, and I know not all children are. Um, but when you're in a low socioeconomic situation where parents could be working two, three, four jobs um, just to make ends meet and make the rent and work in the service industry, right? So they can't don't have the luxury of working remotely when you're a grocery store cashier or um, when you're um, a line cook or whatever other job you have that you can't do remotely. So I worry um, the challenge is getting those kids into school so that their parents can go back, can work safely, um, but also so that the kids can learn because these kids have lost so much learning. So our kids who, you know, we're already one grade level behind. We see two grade levels behind now. And how do we catch that up? We can't retain them because of COVID. You can't retain a whole grade because what do you do with the incoming grades? So it's going to be a challenge to think about an incoming third grader, just for an example, who's now reading at a really a first grade level because they've had that much regression. How am I going to support my third grade team in making sure that they have the skills to teach the phonics piece, which they don't usually have to teach because they already know how to read by the time they're in third grade. And it's not comfortable as a teacher to say when you don't know something. So I think getting kids caught up, summer school is going to be huge this year for both special education students. And we have the luxury of offering some summer services to kids who aren't special education. So that's going to be huge. And it's how do we lure them in to do it, right? Because right now they're all tapped. Oh, I'm sure. Now, I read these posts on social media sometimes, the it's okay, we're in a pandemic, don't worry about the loss of learning, but you wouldn't subscribe to that 100%? No, I wouldn't. Um, not where I think where the case is different, honestly, Keith, is that I look at my own children who are perfectly solidly average. They know how to read, they do their math, they know how to write, they love school. The school that I'm at now, um, and again, not every child is like mine, but not the case. Like I need these kids in school in front of me every day learning. They need to be learning English, they need to be learning how to read, they need to be learning their letters, they need to learn how to write. So Yes. And you know, the social emotional piece. Yes, they will be okay. And we will get them, you know, what we can, but it's not, it might be a pandemic, but ultimately they still need to be able to be a productive citizen. And if we don't catch them before they leave elementary school, you and I both know the chances of them finishing their schooling is, is greatly diminished. You're so right about that. If remediation needs to happen at six through eight, that is, it's a tall order. It can be done, but if you can capture in the younger grades and get the student on a more successful path, their confidence grows. And confidence is such an important piece of it all too, I think. Right. Like I have a third grader now and this kid, all he wants to do is be able to read and it will unlock everything for him if he can just break the code and his teacher's working so hard and title one's working with him, but you can just see how bad he wants it. And it's just to me, like, and he's one of, I have 400 and however many students, like I could say that about three quarters of them, but this is just one that I've happened to build a relationship with because he lashes out when he can't read something. So we've spent a lot of time together with him being frustrated, but you know, it will unlock the world literally for this kid. And that's, there's many stories like that. What kind of support network do you have when it's a tough day? Wow. So I'm super lucky to have my assistant principal. Um, She's phenomenal. Um, And, you know, I can always walk in and close the door and there's, there's tissues and chocolate, right? We like to say, Um, 
I, my, my internal leadership team is, is wonderful. Um, so they're always a good thing. I have many, I have two dear friends who are also principals. So that's always nice. Um, one in the same district as me and one in my former district. That's great. And then I'm super lucky that I have, um, a very supportive husband and my, you know, my family, my kids, my parents. Um, and I'm lucky that my husband is the diabolical opposite of me and is very calm, cool, and collected all the time. We like to joke that he barely has a pulse. Um, so when I'm all riled up, he can usually make sense of it and calm me down from, you know, his very engineering brain perspective. It's good um, to have one of each in the household, isn't it? Yes, 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 it is. Um, but I think too, you know, we have to, I have to think about, I have a lot of, obviously a lot of responsibility as teachers and any staff in a school does. Um, but it's, I've also become like a personal therapist for my staff, right? When they're, I, I go around all the time. How are you doing? What can I do for you? Um, you know, I bring in treats. I go around once a month with a cart with something sweet on it in the morning and give them, you know, water and a treat. And, you know, I'm doing everything I can to, to kind of boost them. And, you know, we got, we were super fortunate to get everybody brand new technology. So the teacher whose microphone wasn't working, she now has a brand new uh, MacBook Air and we were able to get through grant money. So it's like just those little things to keep people's psyche up. Um, and just, you know, knowing that I have an open door policy and that I'm there for them. If they need me, they can call me and text me anytime, day or night. And I will, um, but it's daunting and they're, they're getting to the point where they're pretty much burnt, right? Like this, this coming back to school and starting to phase kids in and phase out the live streaming piece, I think will, will weigh heavily in a good way on people's psyche and where they're at, um, with their own social emotional piece. And and twenty years of doing this, March is always a tough month, COVID or not. I mean, I think now it's even more so. Uh, but it sounds like you have some good mechanisms to you're thinking about, you know, when the teachers sag and how to lift them up. And I think that's from as a classroom teacher, such an important thing. Sometimes little things mean a lot. Right. It's small changes, big impact. Right. So sure. they've all been introduced to Bagel World from Massachusetts. Oh. So they've had Bagel World a couple times. Nice plug. Uh, we get that plug in there. Yep. And then last week they got um, some, what did I bring? Oh, I stopped at Kane's Donuts and brought donuts up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do that. I, you know, the, my administrative assistant, the assistant principal and myself, we all made a sweet treat right before our February vacation and brought it in individually wrapped to be COVID safe and invite everybody to come into the office, you know, socially distance, take what they wanted. And it was a chance for us to say hi and have a great break. Um, so we're trying to do any little thing that we can. Um, you know, and like I said, I say no to a lot. Um, like we, they wanted to pilot a program and I said, nope, we'll wait until, you know, September when, when we're rolling it out. I'm not even asking my teachers if they want to do that. They don't need one more thing to do. And that's great because teachers, uh, at least in my opinion, you've got overachievers who will do it all and, and not realize they're burnt out until they're way burnt out. So it's good. You have those boundaries, you know, where the, nope, you know, you're doing a great job. You don't have to take this, this, and this. Yes. And I've worked really hard at what teams we do have to try and spread the wealth, right? Like nobody's on more than one team because you, you know, classroom teacher, you could be on the multi-tiered system of support team. You could be on the project-based learning team. You could be on the student support team. You could be on the, you know, I could go on and on and on and on. And so I tried really hard to make a spreadsheet and say, okay, these people can be on the PBL team. These people can be on the, you know, the MTSS team and that to, to try and ensure that we were kind of spreading it all out and so that no one was being asked to do too much above and beyond. 
each day the last calendar year, I keep thinking we're going to be at a better place. And I think slowly we're getting there. What are your predictions for the 21-22 school year? So I predict that um, with the amount of vaccinations that we have going on um, and with the proper social distancing and masking that we've we've implemented and done for almost the last year, I see a full five-day opening happening in September. I think we will still be masked, and I think that we will still um, you know, socially distance, maybe at a reduced um, three feet. But I think with pleasure, we'll be able to get all kids back into school buildings um, and on our way to helping them socially and emotionally um, and also getting them um, academically where they need to be. And we're going to have to look at what that means. Does it mean pushing back a year's curriculum um, and supporting teachers that way? Um, so that's that's where we're at. I'm, I'm optimistic. It sounds good. I, I start to feel that optimism too. It, it's like a slow rebuild. And I just think September is going to be the signpost where, as you say, it might not be normal as we knew it, but we're getting close. In our audience, Paula, do you have any advice for teachers who really are down in the dumps and they're not getting the support they need? What, what would you say to the classroom teacher who's working as hard as they can, but feel kind of down? Yeah, that's tough because I'm, I'm sure it can happen in teaching, especially now. Um, I never thought of it as an isolating profession, but you can feel really isolated right now. So my best advice to you is hopefully you have a trusted colleague that has become a friend and make sure you have somebody that you can vent to. And if it's not your administrator, is it, you know, a, an outside friend, um, a partner, um, a parent, you know, just somebody close to you? Because what they'll tell you is you're doing the best you can and you're doing a good job and you need to keep up the good work. There's an end in sight. You got this. I think it's, you just have to, you have to find the little things to be grateful for every day. Right. And it could be something so simple as, oh my goodness, no one on my zoom call today. You know, everyone had their cameras on today all day. Like you just got to grab it and just, just go with it. Cause it is, it's tough. It's daunting, but we, we, the end is in sight and we can do this. You know, we are all in this together and we're going to make it happen. Great words, Paula. Thank you so much for joining us on Get School with Mr. S. I promised the audience that this would be a fun trip to the principal's office, and you really made it happen, and I really appreciate you joining us today on the program. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Once again, thanks to our guest, Paula Jones, for joining us on Get School with Mr. S. Now it's time for my Raise Your Hand portion of the show, where we answer listeners' questions. I feel it's important to hear from parents and teachers around the nation and share our collective experiences. So, in order for you to get in touch with the show, you may tweet us at getschooled underscore pod or email us getschooledwithmrs at gmail.com. So raise your hand and join the conversation like Roger from New York. Roger asks, Mr. S, last episode you mentioned a game show as an extracurricular activity. How do you incorporate educational games into your curriculum? The club I ran was Password from the old TV show where you'd two-on-two. Your teammate would have a word. You would give a one-word clue. That was a lot of fun. I ran that for many years. In the classroom, I'm a math teacher, so I love to play math games with partners, with groups. I've done a workshop on educational games. I just find that You can tap into students' competitive spirit, but they're also working cooperatively. As a teacher, you're getting done what you need to get done, 
that is the material you're trying to teach. And it's a win-win because the kids are picking up your material, but they're having fun at the same time. So I use various games and I use a raffle ticket system as well. And I raffle off bonus points, homework pass, and other prizes on a monthly basis. So I feel that games are a nice way to make the learning fun and engaging. So thanks for raising your hand, Roger. If you want to join the show, you can reach us at getschooledwithmrs at gmail.com or on Twitter at getschooled underscore pod. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review as we always appreciate that. Or connect with us on email, getschooledwithmrs at gmail.com. Today's show was produced and edited by the Bearcat Group. Music by Patrick Patricios. Thanks for listening to Get School with Mr. S. See you next time.